As we continue today in our series, Love Lessons, we come to the second non-love. You see, 1 Corinthians reveals that not only is love not prideful, but it is not rude. That means that love is polite. But when you look around at our current culture, you don't see much politeness, much courteousness, much kindness. What you see is a lot of people that are rude today. You see, we live in a fractured society, a divided society, a society that is divided socially, economically, racially, politically, even religiously. And it would be easy for us to conclude as we look at this call from Paul in 1 Corinthians that tells us that love is not rude, but instead it is polite to think that's just an old-fashioned statement from the past. Because that, that doesn't translate to our time and our culture. That's just something for Paul's day. But can I remind you that this culture of rudeness was very much alive in Paul's day? Things were just as bad then, if not worse. And yet Paul calls us to cultivate a love that is courteous and polite. And so today, we're going to look at the contrast between a courteous woman and a rude man as we turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And it's here that you and I are going to learn some critical lessons on how to cultivate a heart that is courteous and polite and not rude. So tune with me in your Bibles to Luke 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And she knelt behind him at his feet. Weeping, her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to another. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave both of them, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, it's here that we're confronted first, number one, with a rude heart. And I want to set the scene for you. You see, when you and I invite people into our homes, 
It should be out of a heart of hospitality because we want to be courteous, caring, and polite. But that was not the case with Simon. And in a moment, we're going to look at some courtesy customs of that day. And we're going to see how Simon basically dissed Jesus. He he was rude to Jesus. He ignored Jesus. And the question that you and I have to ask ourselves is why? Why would you invite Jesus into your home and just to be rude to him? Why would you and I at times call ourselves Christians and go out and treat people like trash? Why would we do that? Well, the Pharisees were jealous of Jesus. You see, Jesus had become really popular with the people. The people loved Jesus because he taught them the truth. You see, for the Pharisees, it was all about popularity, but for Jesus, it was about people. And the question that we have to ask ourselves today is, am I just making it about a popularity contest or am I really making it about people? You see, for the Pharisees, they wanted to live in the limelight. For Jesus, he wanted people to be set free and to live in the light. What about you? Is it about the limelight or the light of the Lord? Are you living just to look good or because you love God? Because if we're not careful, we will make it all about how we look and very little about how we love. You see, the three common courtesies of the day, number one, is that they would wash people's feet. Most of us know that They traveled by foot. They had sandals that were open. And so the dust would start to collect on those hot, sweaty feet. They would start to become caked in dirt. And so when they came into that home, the lowest servant in the home typically would be the one that would wash their feet and clean them. And can you imagine how refreshing that would be after a long journey? But you see, Simon didn't serve the Savior. And he didn't let any of his servants serve the Savior. He was rude. What a contrast between Simon and the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who the night before he was crucified, knelt down and washed the feet of his disciples. Can you imagine that for a moment? The Creator washing the feet of his creation. Now I want to help you see that and to visualize that. And we're going to do something that is incredibly uncomfortable in our culture. I'm going to go ahead and wash somebody's feet. See, feet are kind of a hard thing for us in our culture. And we like to cover them up unless we paint them up and get them all cute. And so, Angel, I'm going to ask you to come up here. Jesus wore sandals, but I noticed that angels were flip-flops. You see, there's a couple of things that I want you to understand about washing people's feet. The first is this. For the person having their feet washed, this can be a refreshing thing. But for the person who is washing those feet, it's far from refreshing. In many ways, this is kind of a disgusting job. That's why the lowest servant in the home, the slave, was the one that had to wash the feet. You know what we do when it comes to ministry? So many of us, we want to make the ministry about what we want to do. We want it to be refreshing to us, and it can be. But how many of us are willing to do ministry when it gets messy? I'm going to just ask you to put your foot over there. The second thing that I want you to notice about washing somebody's feet is look at the position that I have to be in in order to do it. See, we will never serve people until we humble ourselves, first before God and secondly before them. 
And what I want you to realize is that Simon was not willing to humble himself. He had a prideful heart. And as long as you and I have a prideful heart, we'll never serve people and we'll be rude to people. One last thing that I want to ask you guys is, how many of you are serving your bride? How many of you are trying to get your bride into this position to serve you? You see, leadership is all about being willing to be a servant because Jesus said even he did not come to be served but to be a servant of all. Thank you. Love you. The second common courtesy of the day was that they were to greet one another with a kiss. And what you need to understand is these are grown men. In that culture and even today, I remember as a kid growing up in the Middle East, the men would grab each other by the shoulders. They would kiss each other on the cheek. Some of you are getting very uncomfortable. We're not going to practice that, okay? So don't worry about that. <clears throat> pick him. Don't pick me. But you see, that's so foreign to us in our culture, isn't it? But what do we do in our culture? We greet each other by shaking each other's hands. We greet each other with a hug. How would you have felt this morning if when you came in and the people that were there ready to greet you, you put your hand out to shake their hand and they just left you hanging? Just kind of stared at you like, what do you want? Maybe you reached in to give a hug and that person just had their arms folded and just kind of stared at you. You'd feel awkward. You'd feel like, did I do something wrong? Are they mad at me? Are they upset at me? How do you think Jesus felt? He'd given up everything to come here, and the religious leaders of his people snubbed him at the door. You see, the third thing that they would do is take olive oil that was stored in stone jars and typically in a cellar so that it was nice and cool. And they would anoint the head with oil. And that was not only a sign of honor, but it would also cool them as they came in from the heat of the day. David immortalized this in Psalm 23 when he said, you anoint my head with oil. But Simon didn't do any of those things. He was rude to Jesus, which begs the question, what kind of a generation are we going to raise in this church? Are we going to raise a generation that are respectful or ones that are rude? What lessons, parents, are we teaching our kids because they will be the legacy that we leave after we're gone? That's what our kids will pick up and carry on. A legacy of respect or one of rudeness. More things are caught than taught when it comes to our kids. And so the question becomes for us as parents, what are we modeling in our homes for our kids? Because here's the thing, we can't just mouth words and expect our kids to pick it up. We have to model it for them to actually show them what that looks like. And so I want to ask you this question those of you that are parents, husbands, wives, how are you treating each other at home? What are your kids seeing? Do you respect one another or are you rude to one another? Wives, are you rolling your eyes at your husband? Are you going whatever? Are you training that next generation to be disrespectful? Husbands, are you treating your, your wife as a treasure? Are you respecting her? Are you willing to serve her? A little while ago, Angel and I were on a trip, and when we came back, 
We had to drop off the rental car, and the way that they had it set up is you had to get on this big bus to go back to the airport. And so you go from being in your own car with all of your space to to everybody jammed into this bus with your little suitcase, and you can't breathe. And when we finally get to the terminal, the doors open, and everybody's rushing to get to their gate. And I hear the booming voice of the bus driver. Ma'am, I'll get that for you. And I look down at the other end of the bus, and here's this older lady, and she's struggling to get her luggage off the luggage rack. Now, that bus driver could have just said, I drive the bus. I just get you from point A to point B. That's all I do. But you see, he went beyond that. He was willing to get out of his seat, get off the bus into the heat and the humidity, and he was willing to serve and pick up heavy bags for people that were struggling because he was willing to look outside of his little bubble of life. Now, I looked down there and I counted because I observed people and where our culture's at today. There were six grown men standing around that woman and not a single one of them thought to say to her, Ma'am, can I help you with your bag? Why? Because probably they were consumed with getting to their gate. They didn't want to miss their flight, their appointment, me, 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 me. And so often we're rude to people without even saying anything or really doing anything. It's not always what we do. Sometimes it's what we don't do. Maybe they were afraid. Six grown men afraid. Why? Because in this culture of feminism, it's not easy to be a polite man. While we were there, as you know, most mornings I get up and prayer walk, and so I was outside the hotel walking and praying, and when I was coming back in, there was a lady a little behind me, and so I stopped and opened the door for her. And as she walked by me, she gave me one of the dirtiest looks I've ever had in my life, and this is what she said to me. You don't have to open the door just because I'm a woman. And I very kindly and politely responded, and I said this to her. I didn't open the door for you because you're a woman. I opened the door for you because I'm a gentleman, and that's the way my mama raised me. Now, here's the question we have to ask today. Are we going to raise a generation of gentlemen or a generation of jerks? It is not easy to be polite and to have that love that is polite. And so often we expect people to respond well to us when we do what the Bible tells us to do. But so often it doesn't work out that way. But here's the thing. We're not doing it so much just for them, but for the Lord because of who we are. Jesus was absolutely snubbed. Simon was completely rude to the Redeemer. And here's what I want you to see. How did he respond to rudeness? This is one of the most critical lessons that you and I need to learn from Scripture today. You see, it's here, number two, that we see a responsible heart. And the question is, are we going to have a responsible heart or irresponsible heart when it comes to rudeness? Jesus had two choices when it came to rudeness. And you and I have two choices. We can respond or we can react. Jesus could have reacted and said, you know what, Simon, I came to your house. You, you, you have totally snubbed me and you have been rude to me. And if that's how you're going to treat me, I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm leaving. But what does scripture say Jesus did? I love this. He reclined at the table. How many of you relax when people are being rude? How many of you get yourselves all worked up and you're going to go to war? Because someone was rude to you. What did the Redeemer do? He relaxed at the table. 
You need to understand people are going to be rude to you, but that doesn't mean that you've got to get yourself all worked up. Jesus responded to Simon based on who he was, not on what Simon was doing. And one of the most critical lessons that we learn here is something that we miss in the fact that Jesus walked over and reclined at the table. The Talmud, which is the rabbinical writings that help us, the, the rabbis, to help people understand how do we live out the law. You know what they said when it came to a gathering of rabbis? The greatest teacher was seated first. What did Jesus do? He took his position of power. He didn't make a big deal about it, but he made a statement to them, I know who I am. I'm going to respond and not react based on who I am, not on who you say I am or what you say about me. You and I need to learn this. We need to learn to respond based on who we are. And who you are is based on whose you are, not what people say you are. You need to learn to respond based on who you are. Who you are is based on whose you are, Jesus, his child, not on what other people say you are. Because here's what most of us do today. We react to rudeness, and we forget exactly who we are. And we don't act like children of the king. And we cut people down, and and we respond to rudeness with rudeness. We fight fire with fire instead of with love. They dissed the deity, but they didn't diminish the deity. People are going to diss you, but that doesn't diminish you because you are a child of the king, no matter what people say. That doesn't diminish your position in who you are in Jesus Christ. Respond based on whose you are. Not what other people say you are. You see, their rudeness did not diminish Christ's power, his position, or his presence. Learn to relax in the presence of rudeness. Learn to respond in the presence of rudeness. Stop reacting to rudeness. Number three. It's here that you and I see a repentant and polite woman. What's amazing here as we see this repentant and polite heart is this woman who was willing to wash Jesus' feet with her tears, dry them with her hair, kiss his feet, and anoint them with rare perfume. It says here that she was an immoral woman. This is not the kind of woman that you would typically invite to a scholarly biblical banquet, okay? Even today, we'd be like, I don't know if we can invite her to church. Why? She's some bigger sinner than you. Don't we both need the Savior? Didn't she need Jesus just as much as Simon needed Jesus? And what I want you to to see here is that she came prepared to be polite. She didn't just show up. She actually went ahead and brought this expensive perfume with her. She had a plan. She wanted to bless Jesus. You and I need to understand rudeness comes naturally. You don't have to practice being rude. You don't have to help your kids to be rude. 
It comes naturally as part of our sin nature. But you do have to practice to be polite. You do have to prepare yourself to be polite. And every day we're going to go out and we're going to deal with people. And so one of the questions when we get up in the morning and we pray, are we preparing our hearts to be polite and to have a courteous love? Now this woman knew that she wasn't living right. And so where does she run? She runs to the Redeemer. Notice she doesn't run to the religious because they have nothing to offer her. She's been around religious people probably most of her life, and here's what religion offers you. It looks down on you, talks about you. But religion will never save you. Religion will never forgive you. Religion will never turn your life around. That's why we need the Redeemer. And we have to be very careful as a church that we don't somehow get off on the wrong track and start running after religion instead of relying on the Redeemer. You see, this was a woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears. Scholars have said that the reason that she was crying, and by the way, if you're going to wash someone's feet with tears, you're probably sobbing at that point. And they, scholars will say that, that these are tears of sorrow over her sin, and that could be. We should be sorrowful over our sin. Some scholars have said they were tears of joy of being in the presence of Jesus, and we need to have those kind of tears too. But I, I wonder if those tears were not as a result of her watching how religion treated the Redeemer, how religion was trashing the truth. Do you cry over the things that break the heart of God? This is a woman who washed his feet with her tears. Why? Because there was no bowl of water available. Because Simon had neglected his common courtesy. She dried his feet with her hair. Why? Because there was no towel. Because again, Simon had neglected common courtesy. She kissed his feet. Why? Because Simon had neglected common courtesy. She anointed them with rare perfume. Why? Because there was no olive oil, because Simon had neglected common courtesy. Do you see the void here? What if the church neglects common courtesy? And what I want you to see here is this was a woman who used what she had. So often we don't serve Jesus. You know why? Because we say, well, I don't have this, and I don't have this, and I don't have this, and we neglect using what we do have. Moses had a staff. He used it for God. David had a sling. He used it for God. The little boy had loaves and fish, and he used it for God. Do you think that God can use your tears? Isn't it amazing in our culture when things break our heart and we cry in public in front of people? We, we, we always apologize. for I'm sorry I'm crying. I'm sorry I'm crying. Stop apologizing for your tears. God gave them to you for a reason. And here's what you need to understand. Some of you have cried a lot of tears this week. God can use your tears to share truth. God can use your hair. God can use your perfume, your stuff. If you would just use what you have and stop looking to what other people have and just start saying, okay, God, here's what you've given me. And I'm going to use it for you. This was a woman who let down her hair. Do you know how scandalous that was? Some of you ladies today, you got your hair up. Some of you have your hair down. That is just your cultural choice. But in Jesus' day, no woman, even a prostitute, would not let her hair down in public. You see, a woman on her wedding night would let her hair down in the presence of her husband 
signifying that she was loyal to him. And what this woman did, and we miss this in the context of the culture, what she did was absolutely evident to every one of those rabbis. They would not have missed it. What she was saying is, Jesus, I pledge my loyalty to you. Jesus, I'm yours. Can I ask you, how sold out for the Savior are you? Has there been a point in your life where, metaphorically speaking, you've let your hair down and you said, Jesus, I'm all yours. I belong to you. And so here becomes the question, how does Jesus respond to this woman? How did he respond to rudeness? He relaxed. How does he respond to this woman? He doesn't say anything. He's just relaxed, reclining at the table. Now, what was the culture expecting of Christ? Here's what you need to understand. The culture always has expectations of you. Your family have expectations. People have expectations. Your boss has expectations. And we got all these cultural expectations. And what were the cultural expectations of Christ? That he would call Simon and say, Simon, get a servant and get rid of this immoral woman from my presence. How dare you touch me? How dare you scandalously let your hair down in my presence? What kind of a woman would do that? Get out. That was the expectation of the culture, and Christ didn't cave to the culture. He relaxed. Because when you know who you are and whose you are, you know who you're living for. We're not living for the culture. We're living for Jesus Christ. And the culture's going to put all kinds of expectations on you today. And here's what you need to say. Jesus, what do you want me to do? And if it's not in agreement with the culture, just keep reclining. Some of you are getting yourself so worked up, even to the point where there's physical illness going on in your life. You know why? Because you're trying to please everybody but Jesus. You're trying to fit all the cultural expectations that you're the perfect mom, that your kids are perfect, that you're the the provider, perfect dad. And you're trying to live up to something that God never intended for you to do. And you need to learn to relax in the presence of the Redeemer and stop getting yourself so caught up in the culture. You see, it's here, number four, that we see the rottenness of a rude heart. Simon thinks that he's got Jesus. Here's his thought. If he knew what kind of woman this was, then he would be a prophet. See, that's what the people thought Jesus was. Isn't it amazing how they still didn't get who Jesus was, that he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Redeemer, the Messiah that they were waiting for? The Messiah was right there in Simon's home, and he missed it. And so he doesn't see Jesus as a Redeemer, and he definitely doesn't see him as a prophet, because a prophet would know. But do you notice in the passage that only God knows our thoughts? And what did Jesus know? Scripture reveals who Jesus was. Scripture is not, or it's, who Jesus is is not based on, on other people's opinion, but it's based on the Word of God. And so Simon thinks, I've got Jesus. He's touched an immoral woman. He's let her, let her hair down in his presence, and he hasn't dealt with it. And I can ruin Jesus right now, and he will no longer be popular with the people, and I will become the one who is popular with the people for exposing him, quote-unquote, as a fraud. All I have to do to destroy Jesus is destroy this woman. All I have to do is expose her sin publicly, and I've won. Do you see the ugliness of self-righteousness? Willing to destroy people to become popular. He didn't care about people. He cared about himself. 
willing to trash people so that he could look good. And here's what he does. He judges. And who does he judge? He judges Jesus and he judges this woman. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus responds to his thoughts. Simon, I am well aware of everything that's going on. From the moment I walked in here, do you know Jesus knows everything that's going on in your life? He knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. He knows where you're really at. And he says this to Simon, and I think it's a a message for the church today. Simon, I've got something to say to you. Church, I've got something to say to you. And Simon's response on the surface looks good. Go ahead, Lord. I'm willing to listen. But the question is, are you willing to learn? Are you going to hear Jesus and then just dismiss his word? Or are you going to really listen and live out what Jesus tells you? And Jesus reveals this parable to him. Because Simon is in the midst of judging Jesus. And Jesus very simply says to you and I today, as he said to Simon, Simon, you're not the judge, I am. And some of you today, you're judging Jesus. You're judging God. Because at some point in your life, something happened that, that, that was a disappointment to you. That from your perspective, God let you down. And so now you're angry with God and you're judging God. And can I gently remind you, Jesus is the judge, not you. He didn't let you down. But see, it's not just that we judge Jesus. We go on to judge other people. And Jesus has another message for us. Simon, I'm the judge, not you. So stop judging people. You see, our job is not to judge people, but to share Jesus with people. And how much of our life are we wasting judging instead of sharing Jesus? And so Jesus says this, those that are forgiven little love little. And the question becomes this, do I have a lavish love for people or limited love for people? You see, it's here, lastly, number five, that you and I see the ripeness of a right heart. And this woman teaches us something about worship that we need to understand today, that worship is not just limited to singing songs. It's not just our words, but our actual walk in life and how how you and I live that out in an authentic way. And here's what she teaches us. Worship is not concerned about everybody else. Worship is simply concerned with Jesus. I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what they're choosing to do. It's all about Jesus. She didn't follow the model of religion. She followed her heart. And she knelt at his feet. And so many of us, when we come to church, we're so afraid that we got to be perfect. We'll say things like this to our kids on the way to church as we fight. And that fight started when someone couldn't find their shoe or didn't have their hairbrush and we're running late and, and we get ourselves all what? Worked up. And we fight all the way to church and we pull into the parking lot and we turn around and we say, everybody put your smile on. We're going to church. Fake it. Because we're so worried about people and perceptions. And we spend all of our energy during that time when we could be worshiping Jesus just trying to look good instead of loving God. You see, church should be a place where we're willing to expose our weaknesses to find strength, not trying to hide our faults to appear strong. Worship is not about you and I pretending we've got it all together, but just simply living right, loving God and loving other people. 
If our greatest fear today is letting our hair down and being real, then maybe our greatest sin is keeping our hair up, faking it. This was a woman who was filled with praise while Simon was filled with pride. What are you filled with today? This was a woman that was willing to serve while Simon was willing to be selfish. And so it begs this question as we close. Who are you in the story? Where do you see yourself? Too often, we're the Simons labeling people. Excuse me. That water is not cutting it. Let me say. It says Irish whiskey. What? I'm thirsty. You see, here's what we do, like Simon. We see the outside. We see the label that's stuck on here, right? Now, can I share something with you? If you don't believe me, you can come taste it later. Inside here is iced tea. You know how hard it is for a pastor to get an empty whiskey bottle? <laughs> you start with all your pastor friends. Hey, have you got an empty whiskey bottle? I mean, you want to say empty. Then, then hopefully they all say No. And then you work down from there, and then you finally find some, and then you say, well, why do you have an empty whiskey bottle? Did you buy it? That's a whole other story, a whole other sermon. But see, here's what we do. We look at the outside and not the inside. And Simon was busy looking at the outside, and here was the label, just like we look at, man, I can't believe pastor's drinking whiskey, and we get all freaked out. He's not. And the label on the outside, immoral woman. Stamped there by the culture, She was labeled for life, and they tried to limit her. But what did Jesus see? He looked past the label, and he looked inside. He saw her heart. And here's what you and I need to understand, that when we're Simon, and when we get caught up in labeling people, we limit people. Imagine for a moment you see someone that's overweight, and you judge them. And you do, because I have. We've been at the gym, and we've seen that person, and we think to ourselves, well, why are you bothering you got to have a six-pack to go to the gym. you got to start somewhere, right? And we see that person and we label them and we limit them because we're only looking at one thing, the physical. And what do we miss? The spiritual, the emotional, the intellectual. We see that kid in school who, who like me, because of my dyslexia, was the slow learner. And what do we do? We label them. But we limit them. Why? Because we only see one aspect. We only see the intellectual and we miss the spiritual. We miss the emotional. We miss the physical. We miss the whole person. And here's the saddest part of the story. Simon, because he labeled this woman, saw her as a sinner and he didn't see himself as a sinner. Therefore, he didn't see his need for the Savior. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the ones that the Jews had been praying for and and seeking after, was sitting there right at his table, and he missed him because he didn't see himself as a sinner. And some of you today, you're sitting here in God's house, and you're going to miss Jesus because you're busy looking at someone else that did something to you, And you see them as a sinner, but you don't see yourself as a sinner. Therefore, you don't see your need for a Savior. Some of us in the story are the woman who have been labeled. And it is hard when people put labels on you. My mom was labeled stupid. She had dyslexia. 
And that was the label that she carried throughout school. She was one of the smartest women that I know. She moved our family clear across the world to different continents, figured out different cultures, instrumental in the church, and yet people called her stupid. And she fought that label. When I was diagnosed as dyslexic, my mom would say to me just about every day, Giles, you're not stupid. You have a learning disability. But don't let that limit you. Don't let people label you. Let the Lord use you. See, so many of us, what we're doing is we're limiting people today. You and I need to understand this, that we don't have to live by our labels. We don't have to listen to the lies of the Pharisees and religion and the self-righteous. We need to listen to the Lord. Because if somebody has labeled you, one of the most dangerous things is for you to start to believe the label because you will live the label. But too few of us are Jesus in the story that have a, a right view of who we are and a respectful view of who other people are. You see, one of the reasons that we're rude is because we've forgotten whose we are and we've forgotten who we are. Jesus knew exactly who he was and he kept true to being the son of the father. You are a son or a daughter of the king if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Keep living out whose you are and who you are. You see, for many of us today, we struggle with that because we listen to the voice of the culture more than Jesus Christ. And so I, I want you to do something with me for the next 30 days. I'm going to have you read two chapters every single day. And the first chapter is Ephesians chapter 1. The second chapter is Romans chapter 8. Every day I want you to read Ephesians chapter 1, Romans chapter 8. And what you will discover about yourself is you are not just chased after by Christ, but you are chosen by Christ. You are not just adored by Jesus Christ, but you have been adopted. You are not just sought out, but you are saved by Jesus. That's who you are. Church, we have a choice. We can listen to the lies. We can live out the labels. Or we can live in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and let that love live out in the way that we love the people around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for loving us. And I pray that you would help us to be a church that's kind, courteous, polite, considerate. That when we rub up against rude people, that we would not react, but we would respond. Because most of the time, we don't know what's going on in their life. God, help us to just love the people that you put in our path, whether they're easy to love or hard to love. For we pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's be dismissed.